Welcome back to the Buzz with Bernie, an economic development podcast. I'm Kara Gormley with your host, Bernie Maybank. And Bernie, a lot to discuss. Obviously, we're seeing all of these city ordinances being passed around the state in bigger communities. Um, we're looking at uh, occupancy rates in hotels around seven or hotels, hospitals around 70% due to rising COVID cases. And wondering how all of this is going to affect our business community that's trying to get back in business. We were talking off camera. I was hoping to go visit some family in upstate New York. Doesn't look like that's going to happen because they're now closing their borders to a number of southeastern states and others, including South Carolina. So what, what's your read? How do you think all this is going to play out? You know, there was some speculation, is this the second wave? And the scientists say, no, this is the first wave. And unfortunately, it has picked back up. Yes. Um, um, mercifully, the mortality rate has not picked up, but the, the, the uh, infection rate has picked up dramatically. Yes. In listening to some of the medical community, um, they're describing that as a possible positive, that the mortality rate really hasn't changed. So, you know, again, nobody seems to know for sure, but talking about herd immunity and, you know, just different scenarios playing out, um, it looks like we are continuing, though, with the masks, with the ordinances, and, and hopefully business is normal. That's correct. And We've all got to wear our masks. That's right. And yours is, I like that, the nautical. Do you have a number of different looks, Bernie? Does, or Does it clash with my shirt, and no, is that important? I, I was actually thinking, yeah, with the fish, you know, you're all in the same kind of nautical theme, so it looks good. <laughs> Love it. I've got my floral, but I, I left it behind me in case, you know, of emergency if we need it. Um, hey, we've got a lot to talk about today on The Buzz with Bernie. Uh, we're going to look at all of this, how it's impacting COVID-19, the business community. We're going to talk rural broadband and tort immunity legislation with our guests coming up next on The Buzz with Bernie. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. She has served in both the executive and legislative branches of South Carolina government for nearly 20 years. Swathi Patel served as chief of staff for Governor Haley, and she's currently executive vice president of public policy, affiliates, and of counsel to the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce and president of the Chamber Foundation. And it, it doesn't seem um, possible, Swathi, because you know, doing all this and you're only 29-ish, Right. Um, I mean, yeah. you started so young. <laughs> you. I did. I was just, you know, out of uh, elementary school and my career just <laughs> completely took off. <laughs> well, we're so excited that you're here today. And yeah. as you you know, Bernie did wear his fish shirt for you, you know, just to... Exactly. Um, we're here. We have started to see the COVID cases rising again. Um, you know, our business community has been uh, doing well, better than expected. And we continue to hope that that trend uh, progresses in the future. Um, but before we get into some of the, the deeper subjects when we're talking about uh, immunity, um, uh, legislation on tort immunity, just tell us a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes um, from the chamber perspective. What are, you, what are you all seeing and what is the community saying? Yeah, well, I'll tell you the liability issue, and I know that's obviously on our minds here, and we'll talk about it, is probably one of the most, um, uh, one of the policy issues that we've gotten the most attention from from our membership. And obviously our membership is very diverse from small businesses to the largest corporations in the state. And, you know, they are proactively 
contacting us. This isn't one of those things where we're having to reach out to say, y'all have, do you have an interest in this issue? Let us advocate on your behalf. This is one where we are proactively getting calls and emails, you know, every week to say, please help us. There's so much uncertainty. Can you please remove at least one layer of uncertainty that's out there for businesses that we really need? And they really are asking for this protection. So I would say behind the scenes, that's what we're hearing. Yeah. We're hearing that this is um, probably the most important thing that we're getting asked to do at the chamber right now. It, it's good to have you um, handling it, having been uh, former Governor uh, Sanford's chief legal counsel and then Governor Haley's chief of staff, and then you actually work for legislative council, which actually drafts the legislation. So it's good to have you involved with it. Tell our listeners how, how legislation passes in general, whether it's tort reform or otherwise. It goes through committees, et cetera. Certainly. So um, obviously we have to get a bill sponsored. Um, and so a legislator in the House or Senate can sponsor that bill. Um, normally we would start in the House and let it run through the process to the Senate side, but you can obviously do that in both the House and the Senate at the same time. So just again, as an example with liability protection, because of the urgency of it, we um, ask that it be introduced in both bodies. And so that bill, the subject matter of it, relates to things that would fall um, in the jurisdiction of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees. So once introduced, it goes through those committees, and um, if passed, um, then it goes to the floor of both bodies, and hopefully, you know, passes the bodies. And again, you know, when we're dealing with um, a shorter time period, because this legislative session isn't a traditionally, you know, um, six-month-long time frame, there's lots of different procedural issues that we're having to to deal with. Um, because of the short time frame to try to get a lot more consensus on legislation. So in trying to get something passed in two days, it's virtually impossible. You definitely need to you know, have to have a lot of unanimous consent type request. Um, but if it's not, and, and again, we're, we're still pushing this legislation to happen in September, then if we have a longer period of time, then you know, hopefully we can overcome some of those procedural issues on the floor and eventually get those bills passed and um, without too much changes in both bodies. If there are changes, you got to go to conference committee. Hopefully you get that resolved, and then you eventually get to the governor. You have so much legis legislative experience. Nothing could prepare you for a pandemic. But you know, we sit back. We, a lot of us are reading the news and trying to determine what is happening. What type of barriers are you seeing? And um, are you optimistic that we're going to get anything done because of the nature of where we are right now? I'm an optimist by nature. So I would say, yes, I'm optimistic. Um, but it, we're in a difficult environment. You know, our legislature, in all honesty, is made up of lawyers, right? Um, especially our judiciary committees. So trying to get legislation passed that is, again, immunity, right, in some respects for the business community and hospitals and uh, medical providers is, is not going to be easy just for that very reason. And so I'm optimistic, but we have a lot of work to do. There's, we're going to start grassroots campaigns. We're going to do, um, you know, we have made a lot of progress, I think, in the House and trying to get a bill introduced. And we've already started working with the trial bar on that because, again, because of the limited time we have, we had to try to come to some kind of consensus with oh, that group. The General Assembly is actually not in session, and they've left the shortest session we've ever had. 
When do they come back and how long do you anticipate them being here? They're coming back mid-September. That's what the sine die resolution has um, authorized. And so they're, they're actually required to come back at that time. They could also come back at the call of the head of the Senate um, in the House, which is the Speaker and the President of the Senate. And so they could come back earlier, but we don't expect them to. We think that How long do we anticipate them being here? Um, normally, a signing die session lasts about two weeks, but it's hard to know right now what that's going to be. And the signing die resolution sort of limited only to take up bills that had passed one house. Mm -hmm. How are you going to get around that? Is that unanimous consent? Well, it's um, both either house, right? A bill has to pass either house or related to COVID 19. So that's oh, very broad. Okay. And so our bill obviously is. All right. So. That. Your bill would have to go through the House and the Senate Judiciary Committees? That's right. Correct. And who's chairman of the of the Senate Judiciary Committee? Luke Rankin was recently reelected in this okay. runoff. Yeah, and this I know Peter McCoy was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and he's now U.S. Attorney. Uh, who is going to be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee? So they haven't actually selected a judiciary chair yet, but the first vice chair is Mandy Powers Norrell. I don't know if they would try to have hearings with her as first vice chair. The procedure for selecting the um, chair would be for the committee to meet and to actually elect that chair. Okay. Um, so that could also happen. So we don't actually know who the chair is going to be yet. Okay. And before we get too much farther, too, um, for folks that uh, may need a little bit more explanation, in layman's terms, can you describe what is going on? We talked about people are worried about the liability, but tell us a little bit about uh, what this legislation is all about and, and how it would affect our community for folks who haven't been closely paying attention to this. Yeah, so as we know, um, with COVID, with it came CDC recommendations, OSHA guidelines, DHEC, you know, has, um, got their guidance. We have guidance coming from all um, aspects of our federal and now state government as well. And what businesses have been struggling with is Okay, we're trying to follow whatever guidance has come out on any given day or week, and it's continuing to happen, right? So if we're trying to do our best to follow this guidance, then can someone please give us some certainty and just some kind of peace of mind that if I'm following something that our government has put out there, then I'm going to be protected if someone later alleges that they were exposed. Protected from a lawsuit. Protected from a lawsuit, right. exactly. Um, if I was exposed um, to COVID or there was some feared exposure to, to COVID, you know, give me that certainty, give me that um, protection from a lawsuit. And so that's kind of the crux of the issue is just because there's been the ever-changing guidance that's been out there and businesses are like, look, I'm trying to follow it, but, um, you know, if, if I'm following this one versus that one or if I'm doing my best, you know, to follow this checklist of things, then, you know, I need to know that I can safely reopen and I can stay open um, and I'm not going to have that fear of potentially going under because of a lawsuit. Okay. And so does, it, does the chamber have a draft bill that it's shopping yeah. around the legislators? Actually, that bill was introduced. It's H5527. It was introduced on Wednesday in the House. Um, and again, this is the culmination of the work that the chamber, along with um, four other coalitions, participated in the Medical Association, Hospital Association, Retailers Association, and the Manufacturers Alliance. We um, decided many, many weeks ago that because of what we were hearing from our membership, we needed to really take some action. 
and started drafting our own bill. We presented it to the House um, leadership. They said, you know, we'll work on this. And so they have actually crafted a bill, which is now 5527. We worked with the trial bar to some extent on this. Um, and so some of the language is theirs, some of it is ours, and this is kind of our starting point, I would okay. say. Okay, and who are the sponsors, do you recall? Tommy Pope is the um, primary sponsor, and then we've got um, sponsorship from the committee that was formed, um, just so you know. Uh, Lee Hewitt is one, Jay Jordan, um, Justin Bamberg is on here, uh, Russell Ott and Jason Elliott. There's a handful of others that signed on, I think, right. on the House floor. Didn't I read Russell Ott spoke very favorably in front of it? Yes, we were very proud of uh, Representative Ott. He um, decided to take the well and try to get an amendment attached to the CARES Act bill, which is what they were debating, and um, see if he could somehow you know, force the issue and get liability protection as part of that. Uh, that failed, obviously, as being not germane, but we were very pleased that he at least made the attempt. So it was ruled not germane, so he didn't take, actually take a vote on it? Correct. Right. That's right. If I'm the small business person out there watching the buzz, um, I've been just really struggling, hospitality, retail, yeah. restaurants, keeping my head above water, and I'm listening to this and want to lend my voice behind it. What should I do at this point? Yeah, great question. So we have formed, like I said, our, our smaller coalition has kind of been doing most of the work, but we at the chamber convened a much larger stakeholders group of, we had a Zoom call actually a few weeks ago and about 50 people participated representing different associations, including restaurant and lodging. And so what we've been trying to do is build up a grassroots effort. We have a website, um, that folks can go to that you can access through the schamber.net website. And we have a call to action page there. And you can, we have basically letters that you can send to your legislators showing your support. And again, we just need that kind of small business voice um, directly contacting our legislators. And again, just pick up the phone and call them, right? Leave messages. Um, we just, we're working over the next several weeks on um, a grassroots effort and hearing from businesses, if legislators hear from their businesses, especially in those areas where we're having difficulties with certain legislators, that will be a huge um, help and it will definitely impact. Do you plan on Senate. introducing the bill in the Senate? So the Senate's a whole different issue, right? So we also worked parallel in the Senate with the Senate Select Reopen Committee, which they formed to figure out how to spend the CARES Act money. Part of that um, was to create a reopen liability subcommittee, which Senator Tom Davis chaired, had Senator Malloy, Senator Shaheen, and Senator Turner were also part of that group. And so we testified, we worked with them on trying to come up with legislation. We um, have a draft that we've been working on with that group, and um, we'll continue to work on that. Their draft looks very different from the House draft. Um, so they've drafted their own proposed legislation then? They have. Nothing's been introduced, so we don't know exactly what that will ultimately look like. But um, Isn't that a positive sign? They've actually started work on a bill? Yeah, without question, I think we were really pleased with Senator Peeler and Speaker Lucas's interest in helping the business community with this issue. They did that by forming these special subcommittees, which again was, was great. Um, we just couldn't get it done. And unfortunately, right. in the situation that we're in now, 
it's such a matter of urgency that getting it done now would have been so much more helpful than trying to get this done in September. Bills are retroactive. So, um, you know, ultimately we will be able to get some kind of relief a business could if uh, an action were to be filed. Um, and so, again, the problem, though, is we're trying to reopen now. We're trying to get our economy restarted now. Waiting until September, you know, we, we lose some of that steam. And so for the bill to move forward, it's going to have to go through House and Senate Judiciary Committees, correct? That's right. And so uh, the vast majority of bills introduced are not defeated or tabled. They're just never set for a hearing. That's, that's the true power of a committee mm -hmm. chair. Do you, do you anticipate uh, that Senator Rankin or Representative uh, Norell actually scheduling your bills for a hearing? That's a great question. Um, we hope with the you know, support of the Senate leadership with um, Senator Peeler's interest in this, as well as I would say the vast majority of senators, I think, are very interested in doing something to help businesses right now. So I don't know if, if Senator Rankin, you know, is necessarily going to listen to us and our request to do that, but I hope he will listen to some of his peers and in leadership to, to set that hearing. I think in the House, um, Mandy Powers Norrell was actually on the House uh, COVID subcommittee, and this is a bill that comes from that group. So I hope that actually that that will happen. And I know um, Speaker Lucas supports the effort. So a, a, a number of tort reform bills have been have been introduced over the past ten years, many supported yeah. by the chamber. Has, have they actually been set for hearings in Senate Judiciary Committee in the past ten years? Well, I can tell you in the past two years, the answer is no. Um, we have not been able to get a hearing set in a full judiciary committee in either body that would um, advance a tort reform, you know, cause that we've been working on. So, yeah, unfortunately, the answer is no. The last time a major tort reform bill was passed was in 2005. That's when they capped the um, non-economic damages and medical malpractice suits. So, again, that's, that was 15 years ago. Um, so I know we've got a... It sounds like a very steep hill to climb, but I feel like with the crisis that we're in now, I just we don't see that there's really any, any excuse not to do this. Right. And, and in the past 10 years, they've really not even been scheduled for hearings, have they? Much much less passed. Yeah, that's right. right. Yep. And so does your bill deal with workers' comp at all? So um, on the House side, it does not. Um, workers' comp is a little bit more complex, right? So we have one issue, which is, if an employee files a workers' comp claim, it's exclusive to the workers' comp system, which means they can't circumvent and then also file. Um, they can always file um, a lawsuit, but normally that would be you know, um, defeated in a motion to dismiss. So we've got that, which we wanted to make sure was maintained. And we feel like um, our current workers' comp law probably is going to cover a COVID-type claim, even though it's, it's a little bit unclear. Um, and as a result of the, um, I guess, ambiguity there, because it relates to a contagious disease, right, or a contagious illness, um, most contagious illnesses are not covered with workers' comp. Like, if you get the flu on the job, you're not going to get workers' comp coverage for that. But COVID is a little bit different. And so the Injured Claimants Association has been pushing for workers' comp presumption, meaning if you're an employee, you work in a certain place like an essential business or a hospital, then you are presumed to have gotten COVID on the job. So we have a lot of concerns with that. And um, 
the House, I think, recognized those concerns and didn't include it in a bill, although there's a separate bill out there that addresses that. The Senate, on the other hand, wanted to make it part of the package. Um, and so we tried to work with them on making it as narrowly tailored as possible. And so there is language out there. But if it's presumed uh, that it's covered by workers' comp, that you contracted it on your employer, you can't sue the employer, though. Don't That's employers right. actually want that presumption? Well, it depends on how, again, it needs to be narrowly tailored. Because if we say that all essential workers um, are entitled to that presumption, that's a bit, go, a bit going a bit too far because in South Carolina, we didn't have an essential workers definition, right? Our right. governor did it the other way. It was non-essential workers um, would, be, would not be able to reopen, but everybody else was able to. So I was able to go to work. So am I considered an essential worker and therefore entitled to that presumption? That doesn't seem fair. And so that's kind of what we're dealing with there. Okay. Does the will the governor support? So obviously, he'll have to read it. It hasn't yeah. been finalized. But in principle, does the governor support? We think the so. Deal? So the Accelerate SC Task Force, which is the first place we brought this issue to, um, strongly supported this and made it part of their list of recommendations. And the governor took that and, and also made it part of his recommendations. So we do believe he supports us and okay, hope that we can work with him to, to okay. speak on that. Uh, anything else about the substance of the bill you wanted to tell yeah. us about? Yeah, one thing in particular. Um, so even though we're asking for a safe harbor or immunity for businesses, um, we're not asking for that for bad actors. So if someone out there, if a business out there chooses not to do anything, chooses not to post anything on their you know walls about social distancing or implement social distancing guidelines or you know, wearing face mask or whatever, then we're not asking for protection for those. We do think this bill actually would, in, would be some motivation for those businesses, though, to do that because then they would be afforded that protection. So I think that's a really key part of this bill is that um, bad actors are not someone we're looking to protect. The trial lawyers have said this is legislation for the sake of legislation yeah. that nobody is going to sue. How do you, how do you address that? I think people who say that don't really understand what businesses are going through right now. Um, we heard that in testimony um, in the House, and right now there are about 3,000 lawsuits that have been filed in the last three months. <clears throat> and we know... 3,000 in South Carolina? 3,000 nationwide. Oh, nationwide. Nationwide, right. right. In South Carolina, obviously, it's a, it's a smaller subset of that. But we know eventually once that you know test case gets heard finally and if someone wins, then there will be, the floodgates will be open because there will be that test case. So right now we have 3,000 and that's a lot nationwide in the last three months. And we do think there's gonna be plenty more um, lawsuits filed. But I think the most important thing here, the reason why the business community needs this is, is because our unemployment rate is 12% right now. And if we want employers to rehire employees back to help reduce this and get our economy started, they have got to have some kind of certainty. They have to know that, you know, of all the different things on my checklist of why I need to reopen, um, you know, the things that I'm gonna need to decide, <clears throat> one of them is what are my risks? And so if we can, if the government, if our legislature can help mitigate and reduce, reduce those risks, we can get some of these folks back um, on the job. Well, and this is a huge issue for restaurants, especially right now. Uh, because they're trying to get back in business. Many of these are mom and pop spots. And to have a number of liability issues 
hanging over your head has been very scary for them. We're about out of time. Real quick, speaking of spending CARES Act money, uh, rural broadband has been a huge issue brought to the forefront, even though it's been there for a while, but brought to the forefront through COVID-19. Um, at last I checked, there was discussion of could some of the CARES Act money or federal money be brought in to help uh, fill the digital divide of areas that are you know, not uh, getting sufficient or any rural broadband. Where do we stand with that? Yeah. So the chamber has actually taken on um, a pretty strong role in rural broadband. Um, we did this last summer when we met with Congressman Clyburn. He really encouraged us to look into this issue, so we did. And we found that um, South Carolina is very, very far behind other states and what they're doing to bridge that digital divide. One of them is we have zero coordination. We have no state body that has in, done any type of gap analysis here to know where the gaps are. So we started working with all of our counterparts, got a lot of interest from senators on this. And so fast forward, I know we're short on time. Um, we have facilitated um, a group of internet service providers that are our members and have been trying to work on different policies to help bridge that divide. One of them is to make sure we have an agency um, that can coordinate these efforts. We also wanna do a mapping effort Part of the CARES Act money that was passed this week would go towards mapping, about 250,000 of it would. We've worked with vendors and the Office of Regulatory Staff um, to identify who would be best situated to, to do that mapping in South Carolina. The um, other piece of this is the hotspots for our students. Obviously, my kids, we're in Richland too. You know, we have access to internet and we don't have any issues, but you know, clearly there are plenty of other students who don't, and that's such a huge disparity. In education so a big chunk of that money about 20 million will go towards hotspots um, for students in the uh, poorest of our counties and I think they've identified 14 school districts that meet that um, that poverty level and so ORS also is working on that office of regulatory staff and we're working with them on how to connect our, our role in this is to help connect um, the uh, the agency with the internet service providers. And so we're, we're facilitating all of that as best as we can. And then the last piece of it um, for the funding is infrastructure, which is far more complex. And so some of that, which is small chunk when you think about how much it costs to build this type of fiber and infrastructure in the state, um, would go for a grant program that any anybody could apply to that is obviously an internet service provider and um, provide some type of infrastructure again it could be there's so many different types that we know right in some of these areas in terms of the federal government congressman Clyburn, you also maybe yesterday he's um, strongly advocating this new legislation that would bring um, several hundreds of millions of dollars um, across the country for um, broadband and in south carolina we've heard at least our share of that could be about 300 million dollars of um grant funding for infrastructure. And so we'll see where that goes in the Senate, but it does look like we're going to be getting a good amount of funding over the next few years for this. And there's already funding in the stream too, just so you know, there's the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund that the FCC is administering. There's a big chunk of that that's slated to come to South Carolina as well, depending on how many providers actually apply for it. It's like some positive momentum. Yeah. Thank you. Will you come back and, and oh, update absolutely. us down the road? I'd love to. This Swati is fun. Patel. And, and Bernie, are you going to be able to hook her up with some of the bee balm? Or <laughs> I am indeed. I can't believe I I'm coming never your had. way. <laughs> yes. Um, she hasn't seen some of the beautiful jars, and we've uh, 
shown them and talked with other guests about them. So you're in for a treat. This yeah. guy is a man of many talents, as we all know. I know. I've known Bernie a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's glad to be here. All right. And thanks for joining us on The Buzz, everybody. Make sure you tune in for the latest on economic development in South Carolina right here on The Buzz with Bernie.